Well, the heat yesterday uh, day and day before that Friday, kind of intolerable if you had to stand out in it for very much time. Uh, how many kind of shocked at heat? See your hands maybe? Just make sure you're, you're breathing with me. Uh, and yet we managed. Here we are. We, we, we managed somehow. Tuck those two thoughts away. They'll come back later. Intolerable, but we managed. So let's get real personal right from the start. Where might... Were the Lord to ask us, were the Lord to come to us today and say, where are you feeling that you have a set of circumstances, a situation that you feel, I feel, is intolerable? It's unbearable. Might there be some specific area that pops up? Usually throughout life, we have cycles where there are areas that we, we at least feel, may not be accurate, but we feel authentically Man, this is unbearable. I, I need you, Lord. I need you to intervene. I need you to change this situation. Now, the, it could be relational. It could be some relational situation that you just feel is unbearable, intolerable. It could be financial. Uh, it could be vocational. It could be physical, mental, emotional. But some area, and I am trying to ask you to think about it, what might be your area today as you sit here, and likelihood is many of us, if not most of us, have an area that we're feeling like, I need a breakthrough. I, I need you to intervene. I need you to change something. I need you to fix something. This is really wearing me down. This is destabilizing me. And, and maybe if we were really honest, the situation has destabilized us, worn us down to the place that at least the thought flickers through our mind, you, you know, God, I, I don't know. You, you say you're good. You say you love me. You say you're for me. You say you're with me. But you have the power to change this. I know that you do. And yet you're not. And you see the condition I'm in. Why? Maybe that thought is at least flickering through our minds if we have not completely just uttered it. Maybe, maybe the truth be told, the situation is grinding in us, destabilizing us, making us kind of wane in our trust in God, and, and actually leaving us in a state of, of kind of low-grade, if not major, anger almost always because we're frustrated. We feel trapped. We feel that... This thing is, is sort of squeezing out our freedom in some area. And we just want God to do something. Maybe, maybe I've just described you very succinctly in some area of your life. Certainly it would be true of me at certain points in my life. Certainly it's going to be true of all of us. Nobody gets away in this world where evil is existent without going through those situations. Now, what I've just done is set up the context that we talked about last week for the entire book of James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe that his half-brother was the Messiah, the Christ, until he saw him with his own eyes risen from the dead. James is a pastor of a church in Jerusalem. Once he became a follower of his half-brother Jesus, he right away took spiritual leadership. Now, the church in Jerusalem it grew exponentially. It went from 120 to 2,120 in one day, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 4, we find that it had grown to 5,000 men in about a year to two years. So this was explosive church growth. If you have 5,000 men in biblical families, you had lots of kids and women that they didn't, forgive me ladies, but they didn't count. 
And so the church in Jerusalem had grown from 120 people to perhaps 15,000, 20,000, maybe even more in just a short period of maybe two years. But then something happened in Acts chapter 8. Persecution broke out. The Jewish leaders backlash. Jerusalem was only 50,000 in its entire population. And if 20,000 had become Christians, the Jewish leadership, the, the Judaistic leaders, they were feeling threatened. And so they, they start to fight back. And they are resistant to this teaching that Jesus was actually the Christ, the Messiah. And they are so resistant, they kill one man named Stephen who kept proclaiming to them from their own scriptures, proving to them, yes, Jesus is the only Savior. He is the Christ. He is the revelation of God as he truly is. He is the last and final and full revelation of God. And to reject him is to bring necessary difficulty on oneself. And they, they kill him for saying essentially this. So what happens, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says that that then the believers that were living in Jerusalem, this huge church, maybe 20,000 people, they run for their lives. They scatter because they know this isn't going to stop with Stephen. It's going to continue. And it says they were scattered all over. And it says that everywhere they went, though, everywhere they went over the world in that day, they just kept telling people the truth about God and the truth about life as it's centered in Christ. Even though that very message had jeopardized their life, caused them to be dislocated, disoriented, to be refugees, nevertheless, they wouldn't be quiet because they knew it was the truth. So James is writing now about 11 years later after this persecution to these followers of Christ that were scattered all over the world. He even called them the the seed of God, the diaspora. They were sown like seed around the world to proclaim the message of the truth about God and the truth about life as it centers in Christ. So that's the context. We saw last week that James fell led of the Spirit of God first and foremost to explain to these followers of Jesus that the trials that they were going through were normative and meant to be developmental if we stay faithful to God if we stay obedient to his word when we're undergoing the trial it will help us to become perseverant and will grow and our character will start to form more and more to become Christ-like so the trial far from being some punishment of God or some kind of a situation where God is kind of just letting his people go he says no no no. God God is using this context this circumstance to catapult your spiritual growth if you stay faithful to him under the trial so he's now going to pick up the conversation again now mind you this is the condition these people are in that he's writing to so what you hear hopefully will make more sense now I started out by saying, what about your, our, my situation or situations that we may feel are unbearable or intolerable? And and what if we laid that out before God, kind of like the Apostle Paul, remember in 2 Corinthians 12, some of you know what I'm talking about, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I've got this, this tormenting thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan that's tormenting me. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, the the number one servant of God, he goes to God, he says, three times, not once did I beg God, stop this unbearable, intolerable pain. I need you to fix it. I need you to intervene. He did it once. God said no. He did it twice. God said no. He did it three times. God said no. And maybe, maybe that's where we are at today. Sometimes God intervenes 
and he just changes the circumstances and the situations and the people and places and things but sometimes he says no and what he said no to Paul for he says no he said Paul I know you man I know your heart you want more than anything else to serve me effectively and to serve your generation effectively Paul if you will just learn to bear under this pain I can use you more effectively Paul I I can show myself through you more effectively I can reach into the hearts of others more effectively if you're willing if you're willing to learn to manage follow with me now to manage this thing that you feel is unmanageable to be able to tolerate this thing that you feel you can't tolerate I can work in you Paul and I can work through you more and Paul said God bless it let, let it happen I will delight in my weaknesses read it on your own in 2 Corinthians 12 7 through 10 so, so what if God says to us today I want you to learn to manage that which you feel is unmanageable I, I want you to learn to tolerate that which you feel you can't possibly continue to tolerate what, what if God's saying, instead of me fixing the external circumstances in the way that you would desire for this time, for this run, for this situation, for this lifetime maybe, I want you to allow me to work in you so that you will be different. The circumstances may never change. They may, they may not, but you will change so that no matter how unbearable and intolerable they feel, you will be able to bear them and you will be able to tolerate them. Would that, would that word from the Lord be acceptable to you? Would it be something that you could embrace? Because that, that's essentially what the Lord wants to say to us today. And he's going to tell us a key factor. In order to be able to bear the unbearable and to manage the unmanageable, there's one key thing that God wants to give to us, focus our attention on, try to draw us to consider in a far more serious manner for our own good. And here is what it is. It's God's word. It's supremacy and it's sufficiency it's sufficiency to enable you and I to bear the unbearable and to tolerate the intolerable and it's supremacy because it's the one trustworthy revelation record that God has left of himself uh, it is our authority the Pope is not our authority I'm not the authority no pastor is an authority the word of God is the authority that we must all submit to it's the one true compelling revelation that God has given of himself and if we if we access this treasure the way that God intended it to be accessed it will change us and it will do something to strengthen us inwardly in ways that we probably can't fathom so that the unbearable and intolerable become bearable and tolerable that's where the Lord wants to take us today let's go back to the book of James James chapter 1 verse 18 he starts talking about the word and, and its power right away he says he meaning God he chose to give us birth through the what the word of truth 
Now, we're going to see in a minute what this is talking about. It's talking about a spiritual birth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, those early followers, those first century followers that trusted in Christ as well as us today, we're going to be a distinctive kind of image-bearing beings. Those that, that were born in a world that is immersed in sin and sorrow and sickness and pain and death and who did not know God but who when he revealed himself sufficiently in Christ through his word that we were attracted to him put our trust in him and became his followers so so we're a distinctive kind of a people that you for the rest of the time in eternity he's going to have a special placing for us, a special way that he's going to work in us and through us but I want to go focus on this he gave us birth through the word of truth so James is reminding these these believers these followers of Christ that were being destabilized some of them were wavering in their trust maybe some of you are wavering in your trust because God's not answering the way you want him to answer and he's saying, you, you got to remember, remember how you started this journey. It, it was just the word of God. Now, some of these people might have actually lived to see Jesus, to see his teaching ministry as well as his sacrificial death and so forth. But many of them did not. They just heard the word, and that word got hold of their hearts and their minds, and they were forever changed. This term, let, let, me, let me refresh your memory again. Jesus used it in John 3. <laughs> Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is, what is the word? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if you've ever been in Baptist churches, you'll hear that term an awful lot. Tragically, when they use it, they rarely really unpack it to tell what it's talking about. But, but anyway, it's the same thing James is talking about. James is saying, you remember, it was the word of God that gave you this new perspective on life and changed your direction Jesus was alluding to it. He's talking to a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader, a guy that probably had the entire Old Testament memorized, but he knew this guy knew the word, but he didn't know the word because the scripture says Jesus is the word made flesh come to make his dwelling amongst us. In other words, you can know the word of God and not know the God of the word. And that's what Jesus is telling this guy. He's saying, you know, the creator, the Messiah, the Christ is right here. And I know you, Nicodemus, you don't yet see me. You don't yet understand who I am. You don't yet trust me or trust who I am. You're not, you're not alive spiritually. You need to be born again. We have the same term repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you, he's writing to those that have put trust in Christ, become his followers. For you have been, what does it say? Born again, not of perishable seed, meaning physical seed, you know, from our parents, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring what word of God so James is writing and he's saying he kind of remember your roots you started this journey when you heard the word of God and the word of God it grabbed hold of your heart and it caused you to put your trust not supremely in yourself anymore not to want to follow your ways and your ideas about life anymore but you so saw in Christ someone worthy of your trust worthy of your devotion he won your trust he won your heart you wanted to know his will you wanted to know his word you turned your life 180 degrees to stop following your own ideas and ways of life and to start following him and you did this all by choice because you saw his beauty you saw his his wonderfulness and everything about him won your heart you saw that not only was he the almighty creator that created the atoms and every everything in the universe but he 
so sacrificially loves us we just sang that song oh how he loves us which is the best news that any human can ever hear that he went to a cross and refused to get down from the cross to say I'm going to show you how much I love you you may think that that I'm angry at you you may think that I'm here to punish you you may think I'm disappointed with you but I like you and I don't just like you I love you and I will die if that's what it takes to win your trust now don't get me wrong he doesn't like our sin because our sin is destroying us and destroying the whole world of course he can't possibly like our sin but he likes us and he loves us and he just needs us to return to him and trust so James is writing to people he says you remember how that word of God got in you and you became a different person you started life anew with a new vision of what is true about life what is true about God what is true about yourself what is true about others you had a new set of values what matters what doesn't matter a new set of morals what's right what's wrong you changed completely and James is calling them back but it all started it all started with the word of God it was the word of God that gave you the courage to leave your old life it's the word of God that gave you the courage that when you knew your family members and your friends were not going to disapprove or approve of the decision you're making you still did it it was the word of God that changed you from the inside out so James is saying you you got to go back you got to go back to where you started this journey they wanted God to intervene in the outside and sometimes he does and it's wonderful but sometimes he wants us to grow on the inside and that growth primarily comes when we take his word and we and become serious about the word because it's him that we're interacting with through the word we're going to talk about that more in the second part of the message so let's go back to James he picks up in verse 19 my dear brothers and sisters take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become what angry why James because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires James is a pastor and he's getting reports and this is the basis of his writing his letter these believers were getting angry because they were in frustrating circumstances and God was not intervening and changing those circumstances some of you got to hear what I'm saying because he's not intervening and changing the circumstances we can be frustrated and we walk around with low-grade anger and we we kind of take off at one another later in the letter James talks to these followers of Christ about the way they were going after one another with their words and having conflict and so forth so that's where that comes in then he picks up in verse 21 and here's where we go back to our anchor in today's message the word the importance the supremacy of God's word in our life we cannot ignore this it, it's it's like the the very lifeblood of our spirits and our souls he says therefore get rid of all moral filth notice he tells us to do it so we can do it notice he's talking to real followers of Christ who still had moral filth in their lives but he says get rid of it he didn't say pray that God will take it away he said you get rid of it how many know there's a difference between the two you can pray all day for God to take something away and unless my will is thrown on the side of God's will it's not going to go he tells me he tells us therefore he gives us the power he says get rid of all moral filth and the evil get rid of all the evil that is so prevalent and here's the key and humbly accept the word here's the word of God implanted in you I interesting way to put it implanted in you he's talking about that the, the word of God internalized 
We'll talk in the second part of the message about how we internalize the Word of God, but, but it's more than just, just reading it mindlessly or hearing it occasionally. It's having it internalized in us so that it's a living, governing perspective on all of our lives and all the decisions that we make. He says, receive it, though. You've got to receive it how? Humbly, humbly accept the Word implanted in you, which can do what? save you save you from what well Randy when it says save you it means that when you stand before God he will say your sins are all forgiven and you may enter the kingdom of heaven that's what we've dumbed it down to in a lot of churches and it's tragic the, the very word that's used there save it's a Greek word sozo and, and it means so much more it means you, you rescue somebody that's in danger. It means you put somebody upright who, who was wobbling or, or uncertain. It, it means you, you help somebody become healed. The word is often translated in the Bible, healed. The same word for save and healed, sozo is used. It, it means that you bring order to their chaos. It means you bring shalom, harmony to their, their world. So when it says this word of God is able, it's saying it's able to do all those things. Primarily, though, it's able to save us from that which is destructive to us, knowingly and unknowingly, which is sin. Look at these verses that kind of complement it. Matthew one twenty one. it says, She will give birth to a son, talking about Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus, why? Why call him Jesus? Because he will do what? Save his people. What does it say? From what? Not from the penalty of their sins. We've got to stop emphasizing these things in churches. Oh, Jesus just died to pay the penalty for our sins, and so now we can go to heaven. Yada, da, da, da. We're born again and all that. No, no, no. He wants to save us, present tense, from the sins that we actually have cause to become habits in our lives that we are addicted to that are ruining our souls ruining our spirits ruining our relationships ruining our world he wants present tense to save us from sins not some bizarre penalty awaiting us in heaven supposedly or, or on the other side of heaven we got to keep that in mind it, it, it's sin that i'm in danger of that he wants to save me rescue me from listen to this one in acts chapter 3 verse 26 god has raised up his servant jesus and sent him to you first to do what so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a what why did god raise up his son from the dead and send him to us to do what to bless. how many how many you want you desire to have the blessing of god the blessing that he wants you to have can i just see your hands well, let's read the rest of the verse. To bless you by doing what? Turning each of you away from? That's my greatest danger. That's your greatest danger. That's the sand in the internal machinery of my life. That's the sand in my relationships. It's the sand in the fabric of the world. It, it, is, it is this thing that God calls sin. It's not arbitrary. He doesn't just make up a bunch of commandments. He says, listen, the only way life will work in a universe of beings that have free will is if you live the way I myself live and love the way I myself love. And anything that doesn't fit into that, it's evil. It has the seeds of destruction in it. Even though you may not see it immediately, you will see it ultimately. He wants to bless us by helping us expunge evil every sort of evil from our lives life and james says you take that word and you internalize it 
and it will it will save you it'll keep on helping you to be rescued from the damaging effects of sin and evil and so forth so the word of god has this power to rescue and to sustain and to move us in a positive developmental cycle let's go back to james James 1.22, he says, now, 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 here's the thing. He says about the word. It, it can do all this. It's very powerful. He says, but, but do not merely listen to the word, and so do what? Deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Well, that's very simple, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a simple concept. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, okay, we've done some examinations, and we've done some testing, and, and now you need to stay on these three medications for the rest of your life every day. You say, doctor, thank you so much. Now, if you stay on these medications, you're going to live a happy, healthy life. You're going to be fine. You say, doc, thank you, thank you so much. And you go home, and you never even get the prescription filled. <laughs> Is it going to help? You trusted the doctor, you said, but unless we do what it says, our trust is delusional <laughs> it's not going to help us it's not real it's not genuine James is going to talk about that in chapter 2 very specifically so he says do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets about what he looks like one of the things I kid about all the times I say men once you turn 40 you need to buy one of these tenfold magnifying mirrors. <laughs> because once we turn 40, men, hair starts growing in strange, bizarre. It starts growing out of our noses, out of our ears, our neck hair. I used to have a dentist, and I couldn't take my eyes off it because he obviously shaved, but he had three or four neck hairs, and they were like hanging this long. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off it. I, I almost said a couple times, Dr. Neckair, but I, you know. <laughs> That'll happen to you, men. You got to get that tenfold magnifying mirror once you get 40 and up. But James says sometimes the Word of God gives us a picture, an accurate picture of ourselves, but we just forget about it. We don't do something about it. It's like you see the, the spinach on your teeth in the mirror, but then you just go out and smile at the world, you know, <laughs> instead of taking the time to get rid of it, okay? let's go on he says but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what i said earlier i said some of us we feel trapped our circumstances are making us feel trapped it's unbearable it's untolerable it's in, we can't manage it but but james says wait, 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 wait. this 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 law of god his principles his way his will revealed in his word his directives it will actually lead us to be free it will so change us on the inside that the circumstances on the outside can no longer take hold of us mold us shape us destabilize us break us down we'll have something that keeps us free we will we will be becoming the kind of beings that God always intended us to become and the word of God is able to do that and continues in it continuing in, in the law that brings freedom not forgetting what they have heard but emphasis what doing it and again if we don't do what the word says we're just kidding ourselves. they will be blessed in what they do so let's start and i'm going to speed this up a little bit now because i know i'm going to go long again uh recognize let's do this let's recognize the potential of god's word we've seen that it can give us birth it does give us birth it starts us off on this new life as followers of jesus james says it also 
offers to save, rescue, sozo, bring harmony, stability, sustain us in life. He says also that it, it will give us freedom. It's got all this potential. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul said after he had spent three and a half years with followers of Jesus in Ephesus and he knew that he was going to leave them. Here's what he said with confidence. He says, now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to do what? Build you up. The message of his grace, meaning the word of God. Paul says, I've been with you three and a half years, but now I know I can walk away and I can trust you to his word the message of his grace because it can build you up this builds you up is so suggestive it, it, it's at least saying that it can give us inner strength to become more like christ in any set of circumstances but build up is fascinating because it it hints at this thing about the way god actually works in us to to strengthen our prefrontal cortex you know our frontal lobes so that our conscience and our reasoning faculties get stronger and stronger and they can take control over our emotions and even our physical senses that maybe we have been uh, habituated where certain bodily drives have control over our life or certain emotional impulses control our life and that is not the divine order our God enlightened reasoning faculties and conscience are meant to rule over our feelings and impulses and ultimately our body it's able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself you know who he has set apart for himself everyone that puts their trust in God as he has now fully revealed himself in Christ if you have put your trust in Christ and become his follower you are one of the ones that he has called his chosen his elect he looked down through the tunnel of time and knew that given the opportunity some would put their trust in God as he revealed himself in Christ and they would be his chosen ones and for them he would continue to work in them to help us grow to become like Christ ourselves meaning our distinct personality but a christ-like version of herself let's look at another second timothy says it this way second timothy 3 the last last writings of the apostle paul he was about to be beheaded by nero when he wrote this he said all scripture meaning the whole bible all scripture is inspired by god literally god breathed when we go to the word of god we're encountering god let me rephrase that when we go to the word of god when we go to the bible we can encounter God not everyone that goes to the Bible actually encounters God those that encounter God through his word will experience its potential it starts changing the way we see life the way we see ourselves the way we feel it starts changing our decision-making construct construction it changes our our morals our value systems and so forth all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for teaching the truth we need to know God knows what's true what's reality we need to know that he's the only one that really has a complete grasp on it for rebuking error we have all kinds of foolish ways of thinking and doing things all kinds of coping systems all kinds of poor habits that we think are wise and they're not correcting faults and giving instruction for right living we don't always know the right thing to do we need God to school us to raise us up and he does this through his word primarily so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good so James is telling these followers that we're going through less than ideal circumstances for an indefinite time which is a hard thing to endure he's saying you got to go back to the word of God the word of God can change your inter climate 
so that regardless what the outer climate is, you will be able to manage and you will be able to bear. But we got to be careful because our self-talk lies. We, we tell ourselves, I can't take anymore. I, I, can't, I can't endure another day of this, of living like this. This situation is intolerable, unbearable, unmanageable. That's not true. It just might be, though, it might be all of those things for us now, but we need to be infused with new strength that comes from feeding our spirits and our souls regularly on God's Word because God's Word is like our lifeblood for our spirits and our souls. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to James. Now, there's three passages that he emphasized the importance of the Word of God. So we've looked at its potential. It, it, it can do this interior work in us to infuse strength, to clarify perspective so that we see things in circumstances that might look impossible and unbearable. We, we start seeing them differently. We start having strength to control our feelings. Sometimes our feelings, we just need to be able to say, stop it. How many of you know you must? If you're going to make it in life, you must learn to talk yourself down off the ledge from time to time. You know what I'm talking about? You've got to be able to do that. And God's Word will strengthen us so that we can say, wait, 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 wait. You're feeling this, and you're lying to yourself saying that, but God says something else, and you need to just get those feelings of yours back where they belong under the governance of your God-enlightened reasoning faculties and God's Word. So, review. He chose to give us birth. We become followers of Christ through the Word of God that we might be a kind of first fruits. Therefore, verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word implanted in you. Keep that, that image in mind. Humbly accepting the word implanted in you. Why? Because it can save us. We now know it means save us from sin, self-destructed living, bring harmony, bring stability, all those different things. Verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. When God says, don't do it, do it, and we actually do those things or don't do those things, it doesn't restrict us, it gives us freedom. Let, let me ask you a question. When a train is on its tracks and it stays on its tracks, is, is it free or is it restricted? right it's free it's free to go far and go fast if it stays on its tracks but we tend to define freedom as being able to do at least this is the way i defined it until i became a christian freedom for me was doing what i wanted when i wanted how i wanted whenever i wanted it that's what i thought freedom was we tend to think freedom is just that it's just kind of this lawless principle you just live by your feelings your impulses follow your heart that's all you need to do but God says, oh, no, 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 you're, you're made in my image. You're designed to live a certain way. And as you know the laws, learn the laws of your being and submit to them, you'll go further, faster. You're like a train on the track. If the train goes off the track, it doesn't go further, faster. It destroys itself, as do we, knowingly and unknowingly, when we divert from living the way that God designed us. We're meant to live the way God himself lives and to love the way God loves and when we do that, we find freedom. Boy, and I, I could break that down and spend hours explaining to you psychologically how, how that all works out. But trust me, that's, that's for real. So he's, he's telling these things, and he says, and if you continue in God's word, and you really do what it says, you will experience increasing freedom. You may feel trapped 
by circumstances, but you will have so much personal inward freedom that you will be able to manage what feels unmanageable and bear what you feel is unbearable. So let's, let's look at what James is getting at here, actualizing the potential of God's Word. I can have God's Word in my mind, and I can hear God's Word taught, but it doesn't mean it's going to do me any good. I might be like the person, again, that goes to the doctor. He gives the prescription. I ignore taking it. It will do me no good. So the Word of God has to be actualized before it will have its influence on our life. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says, oh, Jesus is my Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, that's a shocker. I thought if that's all you got to do is say, I confess Jesus is Lord, you know, and that God raised him from the dead and I will be saved. You, we, we can't mindlessly deal with the most intelligent being in the universe. He, he wants an authentic relationship with us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who, who what? Who what? does the will of my father in heaven oh i thought i could just say lord lord and that kind of gets my ticket punched and whoop, up to heaven evidently not so according to jesus he illustrates this a little further therefore everyone who hears hears these words of mine and does what puts them into practice actualizes them okay puts him into practice he'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock we know the thing we, we teach it to little kids in Sunday school the man who built his house on the rock the man who built his house on the sand he goes on but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash so Jesus says there's two kinds of people. There's those who hear the word of God. They might have it memorized. The religious leaders of his day had, most of them, the entire Old Testament memorized. But when God showed up, they didn't even recognize him. Worse, they didn't like him. Jesus was, is, always will be God. And, and so Jesus says the key is there are some who hear it, know it, maybe can argue about it, but they don't really obey it. And he says, it'll be useless. It's just a question of when the right set of circumstances, the right storm comes in. It will bring their life crashing down. Jesus says, however, if you hear my word and you put it into practice, you submit to it, you obey it, you're building your house on a foundation that no circumstance can shred, no circumstance can tear it down. You will always be able to manage no matter how unmanageable things may feel. You will always be able to tolerate no matter how intolerable things may feel. You will have something on the inside that will be more than enough to hold off and manage that which is going on on the outside. Now, right now, there's some in this room saying, Randy, you don't know, man. You don't know how it feels to be in my skin. You don't have a clue how lonely I feel, how wounded I feel, how insecure I feel, how angry I feel, how bitter I feel. I could go on and on, how trapped, how completely abused I feel. You know, we, we all would have various ways. So, so you, you really don't know, Randy. I, I really can't. There, you know, not even God can do anything that I'd be able to manage or bear. This is, I need him to intervene. I need him to change 
my circumstances but what if he says to you what he said to Paul no I'm not going to I'll change you but I won't change your circumstances because God often says that to his people for our higher good not our immediate comfort he cares more about our character and our positive influence than our immediate comfort don't we do that with our kids all the time we say go to bed at eight o'clock and the kid says I don't want to go to bed I want to stay up all night you know we, we say eat that green spinach that tastes like dirt don't eat that candy <laughs> but we're seeking their higher good we care more about their good their character their development than we do their immediate comfort and pleasure God's just a good parent now now I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on three things that I think are extreme dangers to our interaction with God's word because I said earlier you can interact with the word of God and not interact with the God of the word and that is extremely dangerous that's what happened to the religious leaders in Jesus day the the word of God when improperly handled numbs our consciences hardens our hearts and literally makes us very difficult for God to speak to and influence and bring us to the place that he wants to bring us to for our good so here, here's, here we go. Three ways that it's a danger of reading God's Word. First, I, I'm going to come back to this one last because this one affects, would be the most dangerous for us in this room, more likely. So let, let's look at it first, ceremonial. Ceremonially, the Word of God is used all over the world. There are churches right now this morning, I can guarantee you, and now we're going to have a reading from the Gospel of John. And somebody stands up and mindlessly reads some verses from the Gospel of John. And now we'll have a reading from the Psalms. And somebody mindlessly stands up and reads from the Psalms, and the congregation equally mindlessly sits there and listens to it. And it's useless. It is the thought that just saying the words have some kind of magical cleansing or holiness-giving effect. They don't. They don't. God gave his word to be understood. He wants to be understood. We need to look at the word, understand what it's saying, but we need to look through the word and meet the God of the word. That is what changes us. We're not going to be sta standing in heaven one day and giving an academic test of how well we knew the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. It is critically important that we learn as much of God's word in this lifetime as we can, but it's not about an academic testing it is about meeting the real creator and that transforms us and changes our lives but sometimes the word is read ceremonially it's read ceremonially all over the world we we, we recite prayers over and over again like god is some dumb mindless unreal person if if your if your kids came to you and said every day Oh, mom, thou art good, I love you. Oh, mom, thou art good, I love you. Oh, mom, thou art good, I love you. And, you know, four or five days a week, they did that because they had broken a vase or something in the house. You would say, just knock it off. You know, what, what is that? You, you think you're going to change? But we do this with God. We treat him like he's dumb. Ceremonially, reading the word of God can actually have a negative effect. It numbs our conscience. We are treating God as a stupid being and he's not he's a loving tender-hearted compassionate being that desires for an authentic intense relationship with us and we're all capable of that 
and he is capable to have that with all of us sometimes we read it academically and again that's where the testing thing gets in oh we must know the right doctrines and we'll argue over the right doctrines and you know we bicker over things that we don't know anything about in most cases and we act as though God's going to give us a test okay so you're at the gates of heaven all right I want to ask you five questions before I let you in these gates this is stupid this is not supported by the Bible at all but we treat the Bible academically we go on and on about the Hebrew says this and the Greek says that don't get me wrong there are times when that helps but it's not an academic thing it's not about knowledge of doctrines it is again we go through the word and meet the God of the word that is the author of the word if that doesn't happen our reading is useless and then there's this one some of us read dutifully there are there are real Christians that fall into this trap it's like okay okay I want God to be pleased with me so so man I got to make sure five days this week I got to make sure five days this week I, I spent some time reading his word see God I read your word today so so you can see I'm a good boy I'm a good girl uh, I, I, I can feel like God's pleased with him now because I read his word five days out of this week if we read his word dutifully we literally are thinking there's some merit that God's going to give to us just from reading his word that is not the purpose for which he gave his word he gave his word to us so that we can know who he is and how he thinks and how he feels and what is true and what is not true and what his plans are and his purposes are and his principles are and his processes are he literally wants us to understand the truth about himself and the truth about life so that we can live a full life the kind that he developed us and created us to experience so so these things are dangerous but they do happen now i'm I'm, I'm gonna ask you a question most of you will be able to finish this statement man does not live by bread alone but by what does it say every word that proceeds from the mouth of who god we read that we're like okay we can read it mindlessly we can memorize it but what is it saying it's saying that I will never be fully human and fully alive I will never be able to bear what life will put on me I'll never be able to manage what life will put on me I won't be able to tolerate it I will not have the spiritual emotional psychological strength and grit and resilience unless my soul is being fed not by bread but but by the word of God and it's not a magical thing like okay I read your word today it's what I said again we must read the word to understand the heart and mind of the word giver God himself and then and then powerful things can happen inside of us Deuteronomy says this Deuteronomy 5 this is the Lord talking he says I so wish I wish they would always res- have respect for me in their hearts and I wish they would always do what? Obey how many of my commandments? All my commands. Then things would go what? Well with them and their children forever. So, so God wants us to know his will and obey his will so that it can benefit us. He can't bless us unless we trust him and are willing to learn to live the way we're really designed and created to live. Romans 1 adds this thing about activating the word of God it says uh, Paul is talking about Christ he says through him meaning Christ we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles that just means nations to the what the obedience that comes from what 
faith or trust so we obey God if we authentically trust God trust is the motivation for obedience and when there's no obedience there's no reason to believe there's any real trust in God you say but Randy I, I believe that Jesus lived I believe that he, that he died on the cross and paid the price for my sins and I believe he rose again that's all I need to believe that's enough think that if you will but he wants those facts about him to be believed so that I will authentically come to trust in him which means I will become his follower which is quite different than just believing the facts about him I can show you a, a sufficient ID and you would believe the facts about me but then if I asked you do you trust me and I said look how much you got in your bank account if you trust me empty it out and I'll multiply it tenfold within a month if you trusted me what would you do somebody somebody you're scared you're scared I'm after your money aren't you <laughs> but you know what I'm saying there's a difference between trusting in facts about someone whether it's me or Christ and trusting in the someone huge difference all right I got, got to land a plane let, let, let me wrap a few things up give you through God's written revelation is sufficient to impart to us a new life okay the word of God will draw us to put our trust in our creator Christ and that starts a new life because now I'm no longer going to follow my will because I don't trust in myself supremely anymore I'm putting my trust in Christ my creator supremely and that starts a dynamic change process that will go on throughout my life secondly so he imparts a new life and to rescue us from the deceptive dangers of sin James says receive the word humbly and it'll save you it will have ongoing uh, impact in a positive way it'll save us from the deceptive dangers of sin let me go on and that will bring it freeing us to live as God lives and to love as God loves so the word of God will change us on the inside so that I'm more and more thinking the way God thinks seeing things the way God sees them feeling the way God feels and living the way God lives and learning to love the way God loves that, that's, that's the journey of life that's, that's what it's about and then finally this if we and this is the contingent if, if the condition if we humbly accept his word and respond how? in obedience motivated by what? trust no obedience no trust no trust there won't be any obedience so how did you get through the intolerable heat you got through the intolerable heat just like I did you stayed inside your car or your house or some building where there was climate control <laughs> you had something to change yeah listen to him <laughs> you had something to change your condition so that what was on the outside that was so unbearable so unmanageable so intolerable you could manage it you could tolerate it now you could have prayed God I want you to change these 100 degree temperatures I want in the name of Jesus I just claim these temperatures are changed hallelujah hallelujah glory to God you know we I could, I could, I could do a little dance you ever see those guys on TV you know <laughs> do, do it again That will never, ever happen again. Never. 
That's definitely getting cut out and put in a little clip. <laughs> but I'm not going to change those temperatures outside. James says, L- listen, I know you guys are undergoing tough times, the people he was writing to. Spirit of God saying to us, I know you guys, you're up against it. It's going to get difficult. But God wants to remind us, take his word, internalize it, trust it, live on it. And again, we've got to seek the God of the word, not just the word, okay? And regardless of what the circumstances, we'll be able to bear it, we'll be able to manage the unmanageable and bear the unbearable. And we will stand someday together as a church and we'll hopefully all hear together, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, FCF Church. You trusted in my word. You found the inner resources that I offer more than sufficient to counter the exterior pressure that you lived in in that tough, unique generation that I put you in, that generation that is likely to live to see Jesus return. Now maybe today, The pressure that you're feeling is meant to bring you to your senses to realize that that we're not supposed to live without our Creator. We were made, the Scripture says, by Christ and for Christ, and apart from Him, our life doesn't cohere. Maybe this is the day that for the first time you're going to say, in a world where everybody's following somebody, either following herself or someone else, you're going to put your trust in Christ, the Creator of the universe, who suffered and died on the cross to prove His sacrificial love for you. And in a world where everybody's following somebody, you're going to make the decision today, I'm putting my trust in Christ, and I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life. Jesus comes saying, I am offering complete forgiveness of your sins. I am offering eternal life. I am offering you to enter into a developmental journey to become the man, the woman that I always created you to become and to do the things I always created you to do. He's saying to some of you, it's not too late. Society is saying it's too late. You can't change. You burnt too many bridges. And God is saying that is not true because you're an image-bearing being and meant to be eternal. And so maybe today the Spirit of God is saying, stop the, the hesitation. Humble yourself. Put your trust in Christ today and become his follower. And then maybe for the others, the rest of us that are followers of Christ, he's saying, man, you've got you to get serious about my word. I'm going to give you two little things. I, I, I could spend hours and days and, and do a whole Bible institute about, it, but, about how to study the word of God. But I'm going to give you two simple things. These are so simple, you will be able to remember these. Every time you go to the Word of God, ask a simp- two simple questions. God, what do you want me to know from this portion of your Word? Easy. And then you ask a second question. What do you want me to do? Now, I could give you a lot more, but I'm telling you, if you just go there and say, God, today I'm coming to your Word because I just want to meet you. I want to understand your will, your ways, your Word. But God, what do you want me to learn from what I just read and what do you want me to do based on it? just read? If you just start there, you will be interacting with the God of the Word, and that Word will start to release its power and change you. And you will be able to bear what seems unbearable and tolerate what seems un- intolerable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your Word is really, truly extraordinary. It is so sufficient. I don't even know who I'd be. I, I 
doubt that I'd even be alive were it not for your word. I, I have nothing apart from you, apart from your word. Thank you for revealing yourself and for making yourself so available to us constantly. May your spirit create a new hunger and a new thirst in our hearts and our lives for you to the point that we will start seeking you diligently in your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.